Welcome to Life at Liberty, the official podcast of the International Liberty Horse Association. This podcast is dedicated to liberty, horses, and the lives of people who love them. Enjoy. G'day, I'm Dan James and I'm here with my wife Elizabeth on the very first inaugural episode of Life at Liberty, which is the new podcast launched by the International Liberty Horse Association that will be exploring all things about liberty, the horses, the stories, the trainers, the people, and just life at liberty. So we're super excited about it. And we thought we'd start out with this initial um, episode just to kind of take everyone back to the very beginning. When we lost our minds. Yes. I feel like so, we should just say we lost our minds, clink, and then we fade to black. Well, if, if anybody lost their mind, it was you. I, I remember distinctively where we were standing when you came out with the idea. We were out in the arena. There was uh, Brett Parbury and Duncan uh, from online uh, cutting cow horse, like he is the man and brains behind that. And you come out and you said, hey, I've got this idea. What do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, like, I really feel like the idea behind the ILHA is something that we clearly weren't listening, but we kicked around for years. So I feel like there was really, like, it was something that we kept coming back to. And for me, I really feel like there were three maybe primary reasons that launched the association. So the first one was, and it was before we got married, watching. So I feel like you and Dan James have been doing Liberty Clinics for, shoot, pause. Really? We're no, we're not. We're going to keep going. <laughs> we're going. Oh, Me and Dan. So amazing. Dan James. Um, you and Dan Steers um, have been doing Liberty Clinics since forever. Um, how old are you? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> so you guys have been doing that. And when I first started watching your clinics, you always have the same people, you know, tend to come back every year. And you would always start them by having them come in with their horse and show what they've worked on since the last clinic. And one of the things, just in sitting back and watching those, was I really realized that those people, that moment was probably for them the highlight of the, the clinic, of the weekend, because they got to showcase, and they put in hours of work, and you were really the only person probably there was that saw it, appreciated it, and it was kind of that moment initially of, they always say that horse people are so crazy that we pay people to judge us at our hobby. And I really feel like in that moment, it's kind of seeing that they were doing all this, they were coming to these clinics, they were learning, they were advancing, they were super talented, but there wasn't really anywhere for most of them to go with that. So I feel like that was the first moment. And then the second moment when we really lost our minds um, was when I wanted to learn Liberty from you. And anyone who watches you or anyone who does Liberty, the first question is, how can I learn how to do that? And so I got an off-the-track thoroughbred who you love. Do you want to tell everyone how much you love him? Sid. <laughs> Ozzy. Um, so I got him and started working him at Liberty and found out that he was eligible to do the retired, um, racehorse project, the Red Makeover. And so I did that with him and I did a freestyle and then I did the ranch riding and it was going through that process. Um, when we finally got to the event and, and had our freestyles prepared and they were all at Liberty, um, it was such a learning curve in that weekend. And so I hadn't had anywhere with the Liberty stuff to be able to school him or introduce him to that environment or find out how much he needed to be warmed up or different things that worked with him. And I feel like in any other discipline, there's somewhere that you can start out locally. You know, you can go to local shows, 
you can start at a very basic level. But in Liberty, it's kind of you're at home, you're at home, you're at home, and all of a sudden you're in front of a crowd. And so in that moment, it was really kind of the realization again that if there had been places to take him, and, and so many makeovers in the freestyles, whether it's the Mustang makeovers or rescue horses um, or thoroughbred or any of those makeovers, so many people use Liberty. But there's nowhere to really introduce those horses to that until they're in that moment that they've spent all this time training for. And I also kind of felt like it really gave people like me that weren't a professional a disadvantage because, you know, for you, when you're bringing along a Liberty horse, you can take him to different events and expos and clinics and things like that and get him in that environment and train on them before it's a show. But I really felt like for amateurs, like someone in that experience for me, I didn't really have that opportunity. So for me, it really went from being at home to being in that moment. And the other part of that horse which I'm sure you're going to love, um, is I kind of got lucky and got a very talented Liberty horse. And once that freestyle was over, there was nowhere to go with all that training and all that talent. I mean, he was three. And luckily, I'm married to you, so you gave me opportunities to take him and perform out at um, National Western Stock Show in Denver. We took him up to Shipshawana. But for the average person, like, it would stop there. And so I really felt like in that moment, there was kind of that we need to have some kind of shows or something for people in this situation where, you know, or they buy those horses that go through makeover and there's all this training and they buy it because of all the liberty. And then what do they get to do with it? So I felt like that was kind of the second moment for the ILHA. And then the last one, again, comes back to you. But when I look at you, so many of your closest friends are people that you ride and compete with. I mean, if you look at Warwick and Brandon and Josh and Craig and Elliot and Katie and Mark and Miranda. I mean, all those people, that friendship comes from, you know, meeting through the rainings, talking about things, riding together, you know, Brett Parbury, all of that. Warwick, Chris, um, Chris Cox, like there's so many of them that those friendships came from meeting through competition, growing together, like learning from each other. When you look at you doing performances and the Diaz family and Jessica and Sylvia, I mean, there's just so many people in your life that you guys are better together. And I felt like looking at Liberty, that honestly, there's so many different, you know, people do it. Maybe they go to a clinic once a year, but there wasn't that community where people could come to a show and meet other people and make friendships and learn together. And so those were kind of like the three moments that we kind of kept coming back to. That I was like, you know, we need someone needs to do some kind of association for this. Um, I think you and I are famous for starting things that we wish someone would do that we could compete in or participate in. But I think last, but definitely not least, is you know there are disciplines, sports, things like that that people do enjoy watching and people don't. There are people that love golf, but by and large, the majority of us that don't golf ourselves don't want to watch it. But Liberty is one of those that like people love to watch it. And all you have to do is go on social media or YouTube or anywhere or go to any Fantasia or equine show. And like people, they love it. Even if they don't practice it, know it, do anything with it. And so like giving them shows, showcasing people of all different levels, skills, abilities, horses, breeds, but all at Liberty was something that I knew kind of every time that we came back to and talked about it, that it was something people would really be interested in, even if they didn't get involved or compete or show or, you know, get to know other people, but just to sit and watch it. So I really feel like, you know, when, when people always ask about it, it's a longer question than just saying, you know, here's why or here's not why, but it really came back to those 
moments for me. That was that was good. That was I mean you kind of nailed pretty much all of it. So I'm gonna try to scramble along here to make a couple <laughs> other notes. Um, I guess whenever it was that we would start a clinic, um, I would describe to people like I look at this as being like another discipline. And the reason for that is because it very much is like a beginning, there's a middle, and who knows where the end of it, um, you know, finally gets to. I think that as we've only just started to scratch the surface of what is possible with our horses and what we're seeing, and I think that one of the things that I have seen um, through the course of the short time that the International Liberty Horse Association has been around is how good, how quickly people have become. And, you know... I think any time that you involve competition and accuracy, you know, it helps improve people. And not just from a competition standpoint of improving people, but from a relationship, partnership, connection to their horse, because in order to perform some of the things that they are asked, required, or want to try, that requires that connection and relationship to develop much quicker and become more refined. I mean, let's... I guess my question for you and going to that, you kind of touched on it, but when you have a goal that you're working towards, instead of, you know, there's some of us that like to just go out, you know, play with our horses, see what we can get out of them and stuff. But that for me, for a lot of horse people, like when we're working towards a goal or challenging ourselves, you know, there's like, it's like you said, like an exponential amount of growth. Talk about that as a trainer, as a competitor, like what is it about, like you said, having a pattern or something or something that you're working towards that really just changes your training and your relationship with your horse? Well, it's whether it be, I think that, you know, for me in the past, like I competed in, you know, numerous different disciplines, I think probably one of the most challenging ones in some aspects was the reining. And it's one thing to go out and do a freestyle reining and, you know, you can spin here if it feels right, do a lead change there. You've got, you know, maybe a bit of a plan, but then, you have the ability to adjust in the moment to what feels right. When it comes into, you know, regular competition reining is that it's like, hey, you have to spin now, you have to lead change now. And again, it comes back to that accuracy. So I think the same thing that we've seen with Liberty, like when mo- for most part of it, there was two major um, denominations as to where Liberty fell into. One was movie horse work. And, you know, that scene that, you know, we all might love, whether it's young black stallion galloping along the beach or, you know, um, it could be a a, a rearing scene. If it didn't happen at the right angle, the right time, the right moment, it could be reshot several times over before that it actually ever, you know, shows up on screen. Um, Live show, Liberty, which in that description simply covers any time that you go to an expo, uh, whether it be a Cavalia, whether it be um, a equine affair fantasia you've got people that are very good in the art of liberty but then also in the art of being able to put on a demonstration and if they didn't feel that something was quite right at that time they could you know move on to the next part of their performance they could re-ask their horse to do something from a different standpoint and you know i say that as much as you know doing that myself like being like hey man this horse came in way fresher than i was you know expecting so i'm going to leave that for later on so you get that part where it's just there's not the refinement of accuracy in that moment. And that's what helps us then, you know, as we developed, you know, the, uh, the patterns and the way that in which that we judge it so that, it, you know, it makes you accountable for those particular moments. 
Um, and one of the things, like, in, again, in going back to the beginning, and this is something that I so, I credit you with, and I'm scared to hear your answer on it, but, you know, yes, obviously the idea of the Ayalache, and I remember telling you, you know, all the times that I did that I'm like, this is a great idea. You really made it possible because I didn't have, obviously, the liberty, skill, the expertise, and to be able to take something that was in no way, shape, or form a discipline. Make it a discipline means that, what is a discipline? It's a a form of horsemanship that is identified by a set of maneuvers, right, at the end of the day, kind of if you boil it down. And so you took something that was known for being, you know, free-spirited, and like you said, like, you could do it in performances, it was amazing, but it wasn't ever really that refinement. And you created, I think initially, 28 patterns. I think now we're up over, like, 40-some because there's so many different styles, but Talk about that process of taking something, creating, writing patterns, and then we went to film them, like for people to see them. Talk through that process because that was that was amazing. I'd rather keep this PG because <laughs> it was not amazing. <laughs> it was brutal. There was no part about it that that was that fun. Like I remember being at at a clinic and literally going through of an evening after the clinic was done, writing down a bunch of patterns saying, oh, you know, that'll be fine, that'll be easy, and then coming back and trying it and leaving the arena. I mean, I feel like, first of all, we need Sarah because she was obviously one of the ones that helped get this thing off the ground and she was there for that. But we won't talk about the fact that you picked Spider Pig, which anyone that knows your horses knows is a horrible idea. Well, the reason for it is that I, I thought that in fairness to everybody else, it was no good picking one of what I would consider one of my better horses and trying to go out and doing it. So you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I wanted to use one that wasn't always that accurate or that easy and we totally scrapped the patterns that I had written and went back completely to the drawing board um, all over again because it was not. But yes, I had that part of it, but if it hadn't have been... Um, for your skill set about being able to help to take like ideas out of people's heads and put them down and creating that thing, which I didn't even know what it was. It starts with an R. By now, can you say Rubric. 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 <laughs> Look how far um, you've come. I mean, that seemed to be very, very foreign and the worst possible. That was really painful to create. So in, in what... Going off of that, obviously, I have an education background, and so what we wanted to create was, you know, an association that obviously we didn't compete or participate in, but also, you know, we didn't ever want to be judges or be in that seat of it. So we really wanted to always stay behind the scenes and just make this opportunity for other people. And in doing that, we had to create a way to judge it um, that was repeatable, and repeatable both, if you and I both watched the same thing, that there was a degree that we would be within in scoring different maneuvers. And then also, if you watched it today and you watched it four days from today, that your scores would be within a range. And so that works really well for my mind. I love education and assessment and all that. It is not how trainers or horse people are made, and I learned that the hard way. So, I mean, I just think back to the days that we would sit there in the living room and we would go through the maneuvers and we would try and be like, what is a one and what is a five? And again, like, I didn't have the knowledge. You did. And you hated rubrics and the word and then also everything that came with them. And so creating that and then I think every year we would meet with, you know, the judges and the different people behind it in a meeting after the championships and be like, okay, you know, what worked and what didn't and what do we need to change and I think that part of it, like 
probably when we started out, we had no idea what we were getting into because I think that's so much time has gone into that and it's something that, like, I don't know that it'll ever be done. Like, I think, like, every association, you're always changing Well, it's, it's like when you look at, you know, whether it be the dressage or the reining and you look at their handbook of rules and, like, every year it continues to grow. And now I start to understand why that there's all those changes in that maintenance, you know, yeah. And I think just even in the scoring system, like initially it was from zero to 10 and then being able to narrow that down from zero to five to, you know, because it after you go through and you, as it from a judging perspective, watch, you know, a couple hundred runs, you know, trying to keep that scale from, you know, zero to 10, like the margin in there was so great. Um, that it had to be brought back down. I think that those were some of probably the biggest learning curves. I think the other one was by dumb luck um, when we were in Texas doing like how to do your patterns and we were looking at working on accuracy that we um, introduced the cones and we did it initially from a point of view from filming so that when people were watching it online that they could clearly see the differences between you know, where the horse was, and then that was something that we integrated into actual competition. But again, that was, you know, um, that was nothing more than dumb luck that got us over on on that one. But it it certainly makes it a lot easier uh, for both judges and also, you know, people to see, hey, like, I either did go between the cones or I didn't. Absolutely. And I think there's, you know, just to to hit on this and then move on to the next part of it, like in our rubric, there were definitely the maneuvers and, and that part of it. But we created this category that is in no other disciplines that we were really in uncharted territories called Essence of Liberty. And I remember you came up with the word but couldn't figure out what the concept was and like you named it perfectly and I was trying to put that in. I think what we were really trying to capture was liberty is different, right? It's not just accuracy like a lot of other disciplines. And there's something to when you watch, you know, a, hor- a partnership between a horse and their trainer there's something that you can see of like this one has, you know, a, I don't want to say better, but a stronger Liberty relationship than this one. And so we really, I remember talking to all the people we talked to. I mean, Katie and Elliot, you know, Patrick, Sarah, you know, people from different disciplines, um, Mark Miranda, I mean, there's so Keith. I mean, we talked to so many of those trainers and stuff initially and starting this to try and like what, you know, try and put words to what we were looking at because we didn't just want it to be something that was, specific in a pattern and it is what it is and we created that I remember there's like connection and communication and degree of difficulty like the people that are constantly queuing versus someone that's refined it so far that they're in the middle more and that was something I think that's unique to the ILHA like unique to our judging system that rewards more than just a pattern because liberty is different and you probably know that better like you compete at different disciplines like what makes liberty maybe special or different like we all kind of know what that is but what would you say that is well i think that it's really easily summed up in in you know one case like yes we all have days when we're starting out working training going through the process but that horse always has the opportunity if in that moment that he's just you know gets distracted that he's feeling fresh that he wants to run back and play to leave so, like, you know, in all of our other disciplines, essentially, like, we've got the confines of, you know, tack and equipment, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it's part of the way that we can go through and communicate to our horses, but at Liberty, they really leave you hung out to dry. Like, there's no, you can't hide it, fake it. It's either the horse is there with you or he's, or he's not. And I think one of the things that you did that I, 
I love so much about that and that has been training people and watching ILHA shows and stuff is that, you know, if horses leave initially, like, it, there isn't a penalty there. Because, like, in other disciplines, horses might miss a lead or they might miss a maneuver or overspin or something like that, right? But, like, in Liberty, like, that's just one way that they miss a cue or have that moment. But they can come back and connect and continue on. And so I think when you have people watching it that don't know that, you know, we've accounted for that. Like, it, it takes a lot to take a horse out into an arena and do any kind of Liberty with them. And there has to be that grace, like you said, of, like, they those horses have that choice. Like, it's a different environment for them. And they're allowed that moment without it affecting him negatively or knocking him, you know, out of the higher places or anything like that. Um, let's talk about the first championship show. So it was in 2019, which is four years ago, which is crazy. Um, talk about that process of planning that show, like what you initially envisioned it of being and then obviously what it became. I don't know. It's kind of like a blur. <laughs> like, I don't know that there's parts that I probably should remember clearer. There's parts I don't want to remember. <laughs> and then there was um, the show. I mean, look, again, you know, without, you know, you know, blowing smoke up your ass, the, the reality of it is is that without your side of it and what you brought to the table, like not only that show but to date wouldn't have happened um, without you putting that together. Like, so that's where, you know, like... I kind of, you know, always want to sort of, you know, kick some people up the arse and be like, hey, the reason, the whole reason that you got the opportunity to be here to work your horse at Liberty and to get this platform is because of what you were able to do in helping it come from like an idea and what people did for fun at home or what a very select few got to do at expos um, or live shows or movies to get to an opportunity to get to the show. So I think that that's really important for people to get a grasp on in when they listen to this is you know like that that kind of vision that took it to there like that's going way back to you know the first person ever thought hey we should you know do a rodeo we should do a dressage competition like there had to be those visionaries there that had the foresight to be able to put these ideas and to create this stupid thing called a rubric and to make it possible for everybody else to be able to get the um, enjoyment of it um you know going to that to that first show like you know at the time we didn't know what we didn't know and I think that we thought that we were pretty well prepared and then just like the scoring system because at that stage it was still zero to ten we didn't have the cones um, and looking back on it now like it was a you know a bit of a cluster for you know most parts but um, you know and the grace on the competitor side is that everybody you know showed up to have a go they were excited um, I think it was a really good um, you know, first show in the scheme of things. We were really blessed at the time that we had um, Chrissy and, and Heath and Bridie come across um, from Australia to be a part of it, to support it. Um, you know, like, and we'll talk about Heath probably towards the end or at, on, a, on a different one because, you know, ultimately that's, you know, he is the, um, you know, the man, the brains, the, the whole nine yards behind um, this from my end. Um but I think that there was even a lot of thought that we had to go into the planning on the arena setup on what was going to help make it as successful as we possibly could for people. And that was from the arena layout. And if you're wondering what that is, you can certainly jump online and check out to see how that we, you know, suggest or at a show like that, set out the arena to help try to make it as um, easy and as inviting to both horses and people as we possibly can. And that, you know, those parts played a huge um, you know, deal into it. 
so yeah, I mean the that first show, like in in many ways for me, was like a bit of a blur. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest part that stands out to me was originally when I was like, okay, you know, let's launch it, let's do it, a show in October. We launched in February, so we had that much time to try and get everything our ducks in a row. And by October, our ducks were not in a row. But um, we had such gracious competitors and judges and people supporting us and staff. But I remember initially you were like, okay, like, you know, do we just do it here? You know, do we run out Lakeside or Hodges? And I was like, no, like we're renting, you know, the Kentucky Horse Park. And I was pregnant, so I think you just didn't say anything. I think you were probably anyone that's listening that's either been pregnant or been around a pregnant person. Dan just went along with it. Um even though they didn't agree with it, probably, and also fronted the money. So that was amazing. So good job, you. Um, but really invested in that. We rented it for three days. Um, and it was one of those, if you build it, they will come. And we didn't really know, right? We, I mean, we had no, we've never had sponsors up until this point. Um, we didn't, you know, really know who would all come. And could it be five people that are friends that feel sorry for us? You know, would it be? And I think we had over 140 entries at that first show. But more than that, like if you look at, you know, Heath and Christy, Bridie came over from Australia. We had Jesse Westfell, who is just such a tremendous judge and really challenged us and, you know, is someone that, you know, really was like, this is how it needs to be and here's my questions. And it was so helpful. We had Jessica, Francesca, we had Ryan Rose. Um, and we really had the best of the best. And again, you and I were so much like to stand back and not ever judge it, but like we also kind of gave it to them and was like, here's what we created, make it happen. And they did. And, um, I also remember, I remember very distinctly you and Jesse talking after the freestyle. Um, and you guys were like, if this is where it starts, I mean, talk about like, I still remember and get goosebumps when I think about those performances, like the level of liberty that came. I mean, it blew me away. Well, like on to that point and on that show, you know, like I've had the opportunity to be involved in many different nighttime shows, you know, around the world. And what people brought to that would have equally stood up in just about all of the arenas of what people produced, what they brought to the table, the entertainment value, um, the not only just the accuracy, but then also um, the skill sets and the different manoeuvres and that they performed. I mean, it was a um, it was a really special show. To start with. And then from there, now obviously we moved into, we were always going to do virtual shows. Um, and the idea behind that was, again, being pregnant. You know, I was like, there's a, a section of people and they're at a different chapter in their life and that's amazing that can go away for a weekend to a show and they can travel and, and have the money and stuff like that. But there's a lot of people that love Liberty that um, they can't take a weekend off. You know, they've got families and work and farms and, and we didn't want them not to get the opportunity. And so we were going to do virtual shows and had set that up before COVID ever hit, which was kind of an amazing thing and is still such a part of the association because... It meant that anyone at home with an iPhone or a camera or anything like that could compete. And I think that was something that we moved into that. But then because of your connections and again, like, you know, just in all respect, like not only were you the person that funded the first show for other people to have that opportunity um, and really funded my time and all of that to make it happen, but it was your connections that got us the opportunity to do it at Equine Affair. Um, talk a little bit about what was it like for you to get your first opportunity to, to show or, or and Fantasia or an equine affair. And then, you know, how rewarding was that to make that possible for other people that maybe weren't at that point in their careers? Well, I think there's there's two things. The first part that I think that i got to um, start out with saying, like when people are listening to this, like one of the things, one of the reasons why that we've ne- neither competed 
or you know we've stepped in and, and helped judged at times just because it was a, a need um, but I think that one of the most important things for people to understand in this this is not about double down horsemanship about Dan James or or any of that part like what we bring to the table like we want a platform that everybody from every different walk of discipline on how that they go about you know teaching their horses to work at liberty perform at liberty communicate with them like it's all about like bringing people and bringing liberty as a discipline to the forefront it's not about a style or who you might follow or uh, you know who you took lessons in that from so I think that's really important for people to grasp um, yes we've been involved in helping to create the association but ultimately the the entire goal behind it is to simply give people the opportunity that that love liberty and want to compete at it not based on a um you know whose style that you that you come with and that's why that again if you look at the this rubric um that again that i think that it makes it kind of so fair to people because no matter how that you go about working or training your horse to compete there you've got an equal you know opportunity um to do it so yeah, so tell me, when you first got the call to know that you could be in Fantasia, where were you? What was that moment? Yeah, I, I distinctively remember. So prior to moving to America, I was still in Australia, and at that time, um, both Dan and I, we'd been fortunate enough to um, demonstrate, compete, uh, presentations, education, entertainment at pretty much every major equine event um, in the Southern Hemisphere, um, covering from all across Australia, um, New Zealand. So it was it was interesting breaking into the American market because it was like starting out all over again. And I remember it was like just after lunch because of the time frame difference. Um, and I was out the back of um, a little place in New South Wales, Australia that, that we were. And I like called them up and I said, hey, listen, we're coming to the States. Um, these are the different acts that I've got. Um, which kind of also paralleled with what choice of horses because I could really only afford to bring two horses across with me um, as to why that I brought the two horses across with me that I did because I knew it would be a very, very strong um, Liberty horse-based act that I could do. And, and, you know, I really had to kind of negotiate my way in. So, yeah, the coming over for the um, first equine affair and stuff, um, you know, like it definitely wasn't one of those situations where, um, it, it was an invite, I applied, I rung, I kind of twisted their arm um, to, to get in. But, you know, like especially after coming across and, and seeing it, like the horse industry in general over here in the States is so, so large. Um, and, you know, the disciplines tend to not communicate as closely or be at the same events as, you know, what we would experience in the Southern Hemisphere. So you come across here and to get into those, um, you know, big arenas big events like that was a bigger deal probably when I got there to see the the size and the magnitude of it as opposed to just you know having that conversation on a phone at the on literally the other side of the world but you know I was very very confident and proud of my horses the way that they stepped up and I mean they stepped into those arenas over here and, and in some ways it was easier um, to you know just the arenas and stuff um, and that's probably a different conversation but I think that like where we're going with this particular part of the conversation is this is what the ILHA has done for other people because like what I found was like one like I get a little bit of a leg up just because you guys all have 
funny accents <laughs> and I get to, you know, come in and just be a little different just right out of the gate. So for a lot of people that are here domestically in the in the US and they're wanting to pursue, you know, liberty and performances and entertainment, they've got a lot of people to compete against. So the ILHA um, has given people an unbelievable leg in to being seen, to being exposed to what they, they may not have, you know, like social media is great and everything, but like everyone has it. But, you know, like to be able to get into the arena in front of an audience, in front of you know, people that are going to hire them on for jobs in the future, whether it be um, at that next event, whether it be at a different event, like this really opens up a lot of doors for people. So I, I think that knowing what it's like on the other side and then seeing what the opportunity that the ILHA has provided, um, you know, through your side of the of the business in particular, I think that's something, and I, and I think most people are, are um, grateful for it, I think that most people probably don't understand what it's like because there's never been in that opportunity where you could like essentially nominate yourself to go that gave you such a, a leg into that that side of it. So, I mean, again, the ILHA has not only just provided something for, you know, whether you're starting out at Liberty, but if you're wanting to excel as a performer, an entertainer, an educator, a clinician, this is now a real thing that gives people great opportunity to get in front of a wide array of audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably been some of our most rewarding moments. I know definitely for myself as one, watching the Road to the Horse show, the equine affair shows. Um, two, when we went down to Texas and Katie and Elliot put on that show and we were walking around and no one knew us and it was just kind of happening. I think those moments and seeing and seeing it kind of a step back have just been what made probably all the headaches and behind the scenes and hours and dollars and time invested like so worth it. Um, the last part I probably want to get into, and then, you know, I'm sure we'll have other conversations to come up with this because I can think of so many questions. But one of the things, and again, I go back to crediting you so much on this, is no one, I remember, because we called so many of our friends that were trainers and were like, hey, this is what we're thinking. Like, what do you think? What's your input? And there was a couple of them to names that were like no one should be in an arena until they're you know at professional level performing with this horse they have no business like in that right and and that's not the case like every discipline has beginner classes and you know low rails for you know jumpers and you know novice and all that like every discipline doesn't and liberty needed that very much it wasn't ever something that we ever wanted to do just for the people at the very top however for those people like yourself where else or what better place for them to bring those young horses up and get that opportunity for them before they're at a show? I mean, some of you guys make your livelihood on performing and being clinicians, and so there's that opportunity. But I want to go to the very foundation, like the beginner of the beginners. And you've always been someone that's like, hey, there's a there's a start, like there's a beginning. You know, it doesn't start by you magically walk in and have this relationship and you're, you know, doing all of these advanced maneuvers with that horse. But you wrote that into the ILHJ. So there's lead line classes for people. So people that their horse isn't at liberty yet, but it's still on the lead line. There's round pen classes. So for horses that are just starting to work at liberty, but they're not able to go into a big arena. There's at the shoulder classes for horses that are just, they have that connection to be at a shoulder, but they don't know anything beyond that. Talk a little bit about, like when you see those classes and you see people with young horses that are advanced trainers or people that are just starting into this, like, what is that like for you to see that? Because for me, 
you know, as someone who's been there, like, I'm like, that's so awesome. And that's something that deserves to be celebrated. But someone at your level that people think that you just walk in and your horse automatically starts working at Liberty for you. What's that been like for you? Well, I thought they just did. <laughs> they do for me if it's Aussie. <laughs> um, I think recognizing um, to to encourage people to, like, at the end of the day, like, we all, you know, when we keep getting defeated and defeated and defeated, whether that's a horse running off, not being able to perform, um, you know, that the patterns in a large area, like, like that can be pretty humbling for anybody. Um, you know, I can, you know, relate to that, like, you know, in the, particularly earlier on, um, you know, Amelia left several times, jumped out of arenas. And I mean, you know, it'll, it'll make you think, you know, pretty quick on your feet of like, how are you going to explain this one? Um, so what was important is that for everybody, and I remember Heath um, telling Dan Steers and I about this when it comes to clinics and users exam, he's like, everybody just needs to have one little win. doesn't have to be like that they just walk away with everything that you know. They just need one little win, that little bit of encouragement that they can, that'll take them back out there tomorrow to, you know, to keep them going. So with those earlier classes, and I'd comparison like going to the smaller arena, a little bit like going and riding in a raining in the snaffle. Like, so they have snaffle bit classes for the green greener horses, the upcoming three-year-olds, and it gives those horses the opportunity to go in there and be helped around a little bit more as opposed to going in the bridle one-handed. So those, whether you're on the lead line or you're starting out in a smaller area, it's to help build confidence of both horse and also um, person because, you know, a person's demeanour just changes. They go in there and all of a sudden there's this huge arena and some people just don't have that size area at home to practice at. So to go to that big arena, now you've got people watching, now you've got people judging you. And that's why that the what you did with the um, at-home virtual shows is so good because people get an opportunity. They've got, they set that camera, right? And I know as soon as you set out, even if it's your own personal iPhone and you have to start performing, speaking, competing, doing certain things in front of that, it just changes your demeanor. All of a sudden, your horse is like, what the heck is going on here? So being able to have those classes where those horses and people can get into um, an area where it's a little bit more controlled, like that lead rope will give a lot of horses and people a little bit more confidence to start with. And then the, for the green horse classes in, in the round pen, um, I think that's just such an important way to not only see um, liberty start to reach more and more people, but to give them that, you know, small stepping stones to get them out there in that big arena. Great. That's um, so key. And I think at a different episode, um, when we're not under the blaring heat and the flies clearly like me better than they like me, um, I think there's so much to talk about the arena setup and how we've done that. But I want to leave this with a lead into an episode that will be so important. And I want to lead it with everyone listening to this, like, Everyone starts at the same spot. Like, no one's born knowing anything about horses, let alone liberty, let alone training. And I think a lot of people look at someone like you and, and the level that you're at, and you're just, you're, you know, you're further along your liberty journey, right? But, like, there was a time when you didn't know anything about it. There was a time that you learned, and I know so much of that goes to Heath Harris. And you touched on it, like, it will be an entire episode in the future of, like, who is Heath Harris, and, and how is he the person that created this entire association because really that's where it all goes back to. And I, I want to get into that, but, but I want to leave everyone with what that relationship was like in you learning Liberty 
who you learned from and how that kind of shaped everything. Because I think there's people listening to this that are at different points in their journey. And there's people that know nothing about liberty and it's intimidating to get started, like you said. So take us back to the very beginning with Heath and talk us through that on your liberty journey. Well, I feel like that's a whole, it's a whole episode. I mean, to, like it's hard to, um, it's hard to put into a couple of sentences somebody that had such a impact on my life and my horses in just a couple of short, you know, sentences. I mean, like in many ways, and you know, like Heath changed my life. Like the skill sets, the life lessons, and things that um, that he gave me. Like he will never probably understand you know, and most other people won't either as the, the because he, he just, he didn't just like impact us on, on liberty, he just didn't impact us on on one area. There was so many different um, areas of life that he touched us on. In You know, like he jumped us ahead both for Dan Steers and I, 30 to 50 years ahead because like he had gone through, you know, all the different trials and changing and trying this and trying that seen what worked, see what didn't work. Like he had a program that, that we were able to adopt and to, um, you know, continue to help grow. Like his influence on, on us as horsemen, particularly um, on the Liberty stuff, like, I mean, it was it was literally life-changing. And I think that's a great lead-in to where we go from here. But, you know, to everyone listening, like we are so excited for this um, podcast. We're excited for podcasts that's focused all on Liberty. Um, and all about the life and stories of the horses and the people behind such an incredible discipline. So thank you for joining us. Um, take some time. You can head on over to the ILHA, either website or social media, to follow us for more. But we look forward to releasing our next episode and also sharing everything in this episode with the world. Cool. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you.